Well, it's great to be with you all today. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Before we get into the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word together, um, I wanted to just give a little update on where we are in in what we call pursue our place. Um, Our church uh, began just over five years ago, about five and a half years ago, and for a long time, we didn't have a building. Now, that was good for us, right? Because, you know, the church is not an event. We talk about this often. The church is not an event. The church is uh, not, um, you know, uh, streamed content or anything like that. The church is a people, right? And so, and the church is certainly not a building. Uh, the church is a people. And it was good for us to be reminded of that, uh, that the church is a people. We are not any of our products. We are the people that God has called together in the gospel, that we are called together for the advancement of the gospel. But it's nice to have a building. And it has been awesome these past few months since we've been here since October to be able to worship in a home, in a place like this. And you'll see this is on our webpage, just the little videos here, but it's been great to have this facility. Uh, Now, I know many of you have come in, and, and actually, this would be interesting uh, to this would be interesting to see how many of you, and you just raise your hand, have started coming to Christ's covenant after May or May or after 2021. So May or after of 2021, how many of you have started coming to Christ's covenant? Right, right. So many of you in the room. So. Before May of 21, April 2021, we had uh, a moment where we all said, look, we, we need a building and we are going to give sacrificially to make that happen, to build this building. And, and all those people that didn't raise your hands that were around and now those of you that have come that you're giving now and you're part of the church, you're, you're helping all the ministries happen. So I'm grateful for that. But those of you who didn't raise your hand, it's because of what you sacrificed in that pursue our place that we were able to do this. It's an amazing thing for a five-year-old church to have a facility like this. It's, it's an incredible gift from the Lord. And so I, I just wanna A, thank you, uh, but B, I want to encourage you to, to continue in this. We, we've got a little graph up here just to show where we are. Now, this is kind of cool. Um, we, we, in that April of 2021 campaign, we, we pledged $7 million, which was amazing for our church at that time or at any time. To date, we have given $5,478,000. That's incredible. And so I just want to celebrate that. I think that's amazing. We've made incredible progress. Pursue Our Place, though, as a campaign ends, um, on December 31st, okay, so it ends this year. So we've got, you know, just over a million and a half dollars yet to give before the end of this year and pursue our place. So look, I I know that a lot of us pledge. I mean, the Dees family, that's how we decided to give. We've just been giving a little bit every month and we still have some to go. And so we're hopeful to finish out this year. Uh, And I believe that that we can and we will, Um, but that's certainly required a, continual sacrifice. Some of you, you might be a little behind on, on where you thought you would be, and, that, and that's okay. I mean, I understand that circumstances change, uh, but, you know, I, we'd like to know that, actually. We'd like to know, okay, where are we coming? Some of y'all might be like, you know what? I did not get in on this, but, man, it is awesome what the Lord is doing here. 
I love being a part of this. I love seeing, I love being able to worship in this building. And so I'm going to get in and, and help us achieve that uh, million and a half, a little bit more goal. And as you see, you know, the, the, the building altogether with the purchase and just renovation was just over 19 million. And we've, we've almost given, um, as you see here, 7.792. Um, you know, somebody could, somebody could write a check for $8,000 right now and get us to 7.8. Uh, on that, and so I, uh, but we're 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 making our way on just you know paying that off. Of course, we've got ways to go there, uh, but this is I, really I give this to you as a celebration. This is enormous progress for us as a church, and I just want to continue to urge you to to be faithful. For those of you who made pledges, continue to be faithful in fulfilling it. Those of you who haven't, you can get on our webpage and give to pursue our place. If you want to give stock or anything else, there's so many ways to do that. Um, and so just please reach out to me or, or Shannon or, or, uh, or Karen, who's our financial secretary. Let us know. We would love to, to help you participate in this. Uh, this time we're going to turn our attention to the reading of God's word. And, and before we do, could we get the lights on in the side section here? Just so you guys can see, there we go. All right, and then Courtney will lead us in the reading of God's word. Good morning. Please open your Bibles to the book of Luke. My name is Courtney, and I have the honor of reading our scripture today from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. These words come to us recorded by human hands under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore they come today to us as a very word of God. So let's ready our hearts to hear together the word of our Lord from Luke chapter 23, verses 32-43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put away to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're familiar with the ministry of Jesus, there's often pairs of things. Uh, throughout the ministry of Jesus, you'll see this. Uh, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, the two houses, you know, one on the rock, one on the sand, the two sons, the prodigal, the younger son, the older son, and here are the, the two thieves. Now, if you pay attention, 
you see this all throughout the ministry of Jesus. And, and there's a theme in this, these pairs of twos. And the theme is this. It's, it's hard to tell the difference until you get a closer look. It's hard to tell the difference until you, you really examine whatever is being contrasted. You know, the sheep and the goats, right? You, you're just driving along down the countryside or you're walking through the countryside and you see a bunch of sheep on the side of the mountain, on the side of a hill. You know, you, you, get, you, you can't tell that there's goats there until you get a little closer. They all just look like sheep. You can't tell the difference until you kind of get right up on them. Or the wheat and the tares, right? You, you, have, to, you have to hold wheat in your hand to be able to sift it out and realize what is good wheat and, and what is just the tear. The houses, right? Now, the houses, it's really interesting. The, you know, you can't tell which one's built on the rock and the sand, even up close, maybe. I mean, you get up close to your house, you don't know really what's underneath the house. It, it actually, yeah, the storm actually has to come to reveal which one is on the sand and which one is on the rock, the sons, and again, the sons, you know, these stories get more interesting. The sons is really interesting because, of course, if you, if you know the story of the sons, the, the, the whole story, you assume, well, it's the older son that's saved and it's the younger son that's not saved. And it's actually the very opposite, but you don't know that until the very end of the story. You see, all these stories reveal something about saving faith, about what it really means to be saved, what it really means to know God, what it really means to have a heart that is connected to God, what it really means to be close to God and far away from God. And there's this story right at the end of Jesus' life. And again, we see two, two thieves. Now, Jesus was crucified right outside the city of Jerusalem, a very public place. A lot of passers-by. I mean, the Romans wanted to crucify people in very public places so people would be warned, you know, don't do whatever they did. And, and that day, you know, as people walked by on the road, people just looked up. They saw three criminals, three thieves up there on the cross. And most of the people that walked by didn't notice the difference between any of the three. You know, they just would have assumed three bad dudes. You know, those guys have got what's coming to them. They, they finally got their due, all these stories, they tell us we, we have to take a closer look, right? Man judges the outward appearance, but the Lord God judges the heart. And if we take a, a closer look at this story, we can actually learn a lot from the first thief, from the second thief, and from the third thief. So what do we learn from the first thief? Well, you know, I imagine being this guy. I mean, if you think about what an amazing moment here. He is at the cross scene. I mean, these guys are there at the cross scene experiencing what Jesus was experiencing on the cross, one of the most pivotal, the most pivotal moment in all of human history. And here's this guy hanging on the cross right next to Jesus, watching Jesus die. And he, he totally misses, I mean, we can, we can understand here, he totally misses the bigger picture, but he does understand something of Jesus, in fact, there's probably more similarities between the first thief and us than any of us would like to admit. How does he begin? Look at him here. Flip over to the iPad. He, he says, are you not? Oh, let's see. Uh-oh. I turned it off here. Let's see. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Are you not the Christ? Right? Can you hear it in his voice? You know, and in this little statement, he, he shows us a lot about how 
he is coming to God and how many of us come to God. The first way that people come to God and that you know, this man would have come to God is the self-righteous way. The self-righteous way. We, we all have this impulse to say, the reason things have gone well with me, the reason I am blessed, the reason God is pleased with me is because I am good. I've done what is right. Therefore, I am taken care of, right? God kind of owes me. You have to respect me. I am blessed because I've done what's right. Now, we know that we're not supposed to say stuff like that, right? We're not supposed to kind of boast about our righteousness. And so we, we mask it. We say things like, well, I've gotten really lucky. Or I'm blessed to have a great team. Or, well, you know, I just worked really hard. But sometimes all those things can be kind of code for, I'm awesome. It should go well for me. Look at what I've done. Of course it's going to go well for me. Of course I did all the things I was supposed to do. I, I went to the right schools. I got all the right things. I've, you know, not made an idiot of myself. Of course it should go well with me. I'm awesome. You know, I've cited this article before. Uh, David Brooks wrote this great little article last summer for, in the Atlantic magazine. And, and he talks about how people use the word humbled when they're about to brag on themselves. He says, in a humility display, you must always use the word humble when the word proud would actually be more accurate. For example, humbled to make the 100 under 100 list in Arbitrary List magazine. Truly humbled to be the keynote speaker at the TEDx East Hampton. Humbled that Cameron Diaz is giving me a ride to Bradley Cooper's surprise birthday party. Just thought I'd mention it. He says, the key to humility display is to use self-effacement as a tool to maximize your self-promotion. He says, the whole point of humility display is to signal that you're humbled by your own magnificent accomplishments. We can all be humbled by an awesome mountain or the infinitude of the night sky, but to be humbled by being in the presence of yourself, now that is a sign of great humility. Jesus actually wrote a similar article. It's written in Luke 18. And he talks about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, right? Everybody would have assumed he's awesome, he's righteous. The other a tax collector. Again, this is another little pair in the ministry of Jesus. This is the Pharisee standing by himself. He goes to the temple, right? Everybody's like, man, what a humble guy. He's going to the temple. And he goes off by himself to pray to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. First man, the Pharisee. Again, it's a, kind of a humble brag here. Humbled that I'm not like these other men. Humbled that I give tithes on all that I get. He's in the temple. Everybody assumes, man, what a, what a great guy. And he goes on to say, I'm so righteous. I'm so good. That's why it goes well for me. And that's why it goes bad for them. And before you look down your nose at the self-righteous Pharisee, right, before you become more self-righteous than the self-righteous Pharisee, admit that we all have this impulse. We, we want to hold our righteous deeds out. 
And we want to say we have this impulse. This is the reason I'm taken care of. This is the reason it goes so well for me. And the other guy didn't do it. And that's why it's not going so well for him. This is what the the first thief, he has this in his heart. You you can see it. You're supposed to be the Messiah. (laughs) Some Messiah you are. Look at you now. You're here on the cross. You know, he says to Jesus, you know, are you not the Messiah? Are you not the Christ? You know, I can almost hear him saying, I may not be perfect, but at least I never claimed to be the Messiah. At least I never said that I was some savior guy. At least I never claimed to be, you know, this righteous man. But look at this joker, this man that thinks he's so much. We all have this impulse of self-righteousness. You know, even in our worst moments, we do. Even, even the guy at the end of the line is pointing to the guy that's even further down at the end of the line. At least I'm not as bad as him. So one of the ways that we can come to God is with our self-righteousness, with all of our righteousness. You know, the irony of this moment, and he, here's this first thief. He's on the cross, and yet he's looking it down at the only one who could ever possibly save him. So the first way we come at God is with self-righteousness. But the second way, and we see it in this um, thief also, is with cynicism. Are you not the Christ, right? (laughs) Are you really the Christ? Save yourself and us. You know, I I talk to a lot of people who, who say, how could you believe in God that lets all these bad things happen? How could you believe in God that, how could you believe that that God is good? I mean, look at all the evil in the world. And this is how the first thief comes at Jesus. He's basically saying, if you were really the Christ, you wouldn't be on a cross, and neither would we. You know, if you were really Jesus, then (laughs) save yourself. I mean, if you're really the Christ, how is this happening to you? Why would anything like this happen to you? We go to God with our self-righteousness, but we can also go to God with our cynicism. And we can tell God... Here's what it is. We can tell God how we would have done it better, right? You ever do this? If God were really loving, he would. If God were really good, he would. If God were really understanding, well, then he would. Is that the way your faith is? You know, I know some of you are here today and you're struggling in faith. And and it's cynicism, right? Something bad has happened. Something you don't understand has happened. God didn't do it the way you would have done it. And you're saying, how can I believe in a God like this? You know, how can I believe in a God that would do this? I can't believe he did it that way. I never would have done it that way. You know, it's interesting. I really believe this. It's it's only when you have that moment, when you find yourself disagreeing with God It's only when you really start finding yourself disagreeing with God that you actually start believing in God. And not just some figment of imagination that you have in your mind that you call God, not just some idol that you've created that you worship. It's when God disagrees with you that you actually know he's real. It's when God disagrees with you that you actually know you're not just talking to yourself and believing in some nice little imaginary friend. No, but you're actually dealing with a real person. who has his own thoughts and opinions and truth. The first thief comes with all this self-righteousness, with all this cynicism. He also comes with a pragmatic faith. He comes with pragmatism. You know, if you're the Christ, 
save yourself and us, right? Can you hear it? If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. You know, you want me to believe in you? You want to be my Messiah? Okay, let's start by getting us off the cross right now, right? Easy way. I'll follow you, right? You want to, you want to get me off this cross? Sure. Uh, that'll be really great. That'll really come in handy right now. We come to God with pragmatism. We see God as a means to an end, right? If God, look, I'll follow you if you just do this for me. And, and we don't, this is naturally in our heart, but sadly, preachers often preach this way too. <laughs> it's like, you want a great life? Follow God, right? I heard a preacher recently say, I follow God because he's given me such a great life. Or if you just follow this principle, you'll be blessed. But, but that's pragmatic. God in that situation just becomes a means to an end, not an end in of himself. You know, Martin Luther prayed to God to get out of a thunderstorm. That's kind of where his story begins. He said, God, if you get me out of this thunderstorm, I'll go to the monastery, right? He made a deal with God. Very pragmatic. I want to live. So God, if you'll get me out, I'll do anything. I'll even go to the monastery. And he did. God saved him and he, he went to the monastery and he was miserable. You see, he feared God, but he didn't love God. God was just a means to an end for him. God was just a way to live or to be blessed or to get some reward. Martin Luther thought, if I could just be righteous enough, then God would bless me. But Martin Luther, unlike a lot of us, actually was honest enough to realize, wait a second, I'm not that righteous. So how am I ever going to be blessed? When I really think about what's going on inside of my heart, if, if God's just a tool that'll bless me when I'm righteous, I'll never be blessed because I'm never really righteous. He was miserable. He resented God. He didn't love God. God was just a tool for him. You see, if your faith is this way, I'll just follow God's principles and he'll bless me. You'll never know God. Not really. He'll just be a tool for you. God will just be your servant. God will just be your means to an end. He'll just be this pragmatic way that you get by in life, this operational God, this functional God. And, and when you really get honest with yourself, you'll see that you're not as good as you think you are. The world's more broken <laughs> than you maybe would like to admit and that no good principle can overcome it. The, third, the first thief, you see, he, he teaches us a lot. Are you the Christ? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He, he goes to God with this self-righteousness, this cynicism, this pragmatism. And of course, many of us can go to God in the very same way. But the second thief came totally different. Notice how he begins here in, um, in verse 40. It says, the other rebuked him. The second thief rebukes the first. Now, this is interesting. In Matthew 27, we actually read that both thieves, this is both robbers, both of the thieves revile Jesus, right? They are attacking Jesus. Now, we don't have all the details. We don't exactly know what happened. But, but somewhere along the way, this thief, the second thief in our story here, had a change of heart. He, his heart was changed. He, he saw Jesus on the cross, maybe something Jesus said, some posture that Jesus had, but somehow his eyes were opened. He had a conversion experience. His heart turned toward God. He experienced a conversion. And this is fascinating. 
You know, the other, the, the, the first thief, he approaches Jesus with all this self-righteousness, with all this cynicism, with all this pragmatism. But this thief, it says he rebuked him. And he goes on to say, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, he, he rebukes his righteousness, right? You think you're so righteous, but you're, you're condemning Jesus for claiming to be the Messiah. Who do you think you are? Can you not see that you are a criminal too? Can you, can you really hold up your righteousness? Can you really be so righteous as to judge in this moment? Who do you think you are? We are sinners. We are thieves. We have nothing to offer. He also rebukes his, his cynicism. He's, look at it. He says, he says, we indeed justly, for we are receiving our due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Don't, don't you, we, we're, <laughs> we should be up here. He's owning his brokenness. We don't, of course, we don't want to be up here, but we should be up here. We are here justly. You know, I can imagine the other, the cynic, the first thief, blaming the Romans, right? Blaming the, Romans, the broken system, blaming his parents, blaming Jesus. But this thief just says, look, we're here justly. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in this sentence, he gives us one of the clearest pictures of saving faith that we see in the whole Bible. All we can really say is remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't come... Jesus with any righteousness. He doesn't come with Jesus with anything to offer. Just a plea. Remember me. It reminds me of the old song, Rock of Ages, one of the great songs. We sang it last week. Nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked. I come to thee for dress. Helpless. I look to thee for grace. Foul. I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. He doesn't come with any righteousness. He doesn't come with any cynicism. He says, I'm up here because I belong up here. I am here justly. You know, we live in a blaming age, right? You, we live in a blaming age. Everybody has somebody to blame. We all, we all got somebody to blame. All your problems. Yeah, I know. I'm sure it's your mom's fault or your friend's fault or your bad teacher's fault or your boss's or your lousy boss. Man, I hate that guy too. We live, in a, we live in a blaming age. And of course we live in a blaming age. It's a humanistic age. Secular humanism will always lead to blame. If the anthem of secular humanism is we are the world, right? We are the answer. Humans are so great. And there still exists evil in the world. Evil still exists in the world. Then it's got to be somebody's fault. And so it's them, right? It's them. It's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's, it's those kind of people. It's the rich people. It's the poor people. It's these people. It's those people. This man comes to Jesus with no cynicism. He, you know what he says? He says, it's me. And that's all we can say. I am here justly. I am here justly. It's me. The problem is me. And he doesn't come making a deal. He doesn't come to Jesus trying to get something out of him, right? You know, he doesn't come making a deal. Just remember me. Martin Luther was miserable in the monastery. 
because he realized he could never be good enough to offer anything for God, and therefore he could never make an exchange with God. He, he could never make an exchange with God because he could never be good enough to offer anything to God. And he was miserable until he realized Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's how this man comes to Jesus. He has no righteousness, no cynicism. He's not trying to make a deal. He just says, remember me. Remember me. Remember the story we told earlier, the self-righteous Pharisee? Of course, there's, there's two men in the story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Here's the back half. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, remember me. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is how the second thief came. Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, he comes with no demands. He comes with no expectations. You know, this, this thief, he has no idea where Jesus is going. He has no idea what Jesus' kingdom is. All of the people around him have rejected Jesus. They've laughed at Jesus. They've laughed at the notion of Jesus. But this thief has seen something in the person of Jesus that is so true and so beautiful and so right that he just says, wherever you are going, I don't know where you're going, but wherever you are going, I want to go there too. Is that how you come to Jesus? Is that how you've come to Jesus? No demands, <laughs> no righteousness. Not telling him how he can do it better but you've seen something so beautiful and so right in him that you say, wherever you go, I want to go there too. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't have anything to offer. He doesn't have a deal to make. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah, I sent this little video clip on my weekly email, I sent it out on Friday. It's a, you probably, some of you I know have seen it. It's Alistair Begg, and, and he's giving us sermons a couple years ago. He's giving a sermon about justification in Christ alone. And, you know, in order to be justified, there's nothing we can do, right? So, if you, you, you know, the, our answer for our justification can't begin in the first person. Well, I did this, or I did that. I went to Sunday school. I was righteous. I was better than the other person. He says, you know, the, the only answer to justification has to come in the third person. It's only through Jesus. It's only through him. And, of course, he points to the thief on the cross as a great example. And it really is an amazing example. You know, one minute this guy is railing on Jesus, I mean, he's, he's railing on Jesus. He's joining the crowds. And then he sees something in Jesus. His heart changes. And in just a moment, he begs to Jesus, remember me. And then he dies, and he's in heaven with the Lord. And Alistair Bed talks about this man going up to the angel. And the angel, of course, is confused, you know. How did this guy get here? Of course, he starts asking these questions. You know, well, tell us about, you know, tell us about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I mean, I don't even know what that means. Tell us about the doctrine of Scripture. I mean, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And finally, the angel just says to him, well, what, how are you here? What got you in here? What are you doing here? And the thief just says, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. 
That was the thief's only hope, to be made right with God. And here's the deal. It's your only hope. And it's my only hope to be made right with God. That the thief on the middle cross said I could come. So we've looked at how the, third, the first thief went to God and how the second thief went to God. But what about the third thief? And in order to understand this scene, you have to understand what Jesus was doing that day. And Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one who has only known life and purity and peace and wholeness and righteousness. He himself is the fountain of righteousness. He has lived out all righteousness with God, total peace with God. And yet in this moment, he's identifying with these thieves, with these criminals. And he's identifying with them in the most profound way. You know, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus who was only righteous, only knew fellowship with God, became our sin, became all of our sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became our sin and died in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. In 1 Peter, I love this passage, it explains it so well. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Jesus was taking on our record. Jesus, who had only known fellowship and intimacy with God, was put out. He took on our sins, and he was put out of God's presence so that we might be brought in. So don't you see how the third thief went to God? Don't you see how Jesus went to his father? Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you see how Jesus went to God? He goes to God with wounds in his hands. He goes to God, as the song says, with my name graven on his hands, with my name written on his heart. He goes to God with his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, and he goes to God with his blood, his atoning blood. And he says, for my sake, Father, spare them, save them, be merciful to them. And it was for his sake that this second thief was saved. It was for Jesus' sake that any of you that know God are saved. It's not not because of anything you've done. It's it's for Jesus' sake. This is why the second thief, who never went to a Bible study, who never went to church, who never served the poor, never read his Bible, never did anything for the Lord, all he did was he put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And to this day, this man who had no hope, who was totally helpless, to this day, he is with the Lord. And he will be with the Lord forever. So final thoughts. What does this mean for you? Right? What does this mean for us? Well, first, no matter where you are, no matter who you are today, this is good news. This is good news. This is good news. This is good news for all of you self-righteous cynics trying to make a deal with God. And this is good news for the person who came here today with shame and with disgust, and with heaviness on your heart. You know, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can tell you this. None of you are as bad off as this guy. None of you are facing imminent death as a criminal. None of you are as bad off as this guy. And if... And if God in his mercy and kindness can show mercy to him, he shows mercy to you. 
And if you'll come to Jesus, laying down your righteousness, laying down your cynicism, laying down your pragmatism, and just say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He will give the same response to you. You will be with me in paradise. So no matter where you are, this is good news. Number two, it's a question. Is your faith a saving faith? Is your faith a saving faith? Jesus has all these, these, these twos. <laughs> Which one are you? Is yours a saving faith? Have you really come to Jesus with nothing? Have you really been broken in your sin? Or are you ultimately believing in yourself? Is your faith a saving faith? Are you really trusting Jesus? Are you trusting in the Lord? Or are you trusting in something else? You know, we just sang this old song, dark is the sin that I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? And then I love the answer. What, what can avail? What can, what can wash my sin away? What can help me here? Look, the blood of Jesus. Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. The blood of Jesus, whiter than snow you can be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that? Do you have a saving faith? Do you believe in God's mercy so much that, that you know, you can go to him with nothing and, and expect from him adoption? Expect from him these words, you will be with me in paradise. Do you believe in Jesus like that? Is he your hope in life and death? We just sang these songs, but can you really say that in earnest? Is your faith a saving faith? And then number three, just a point here. You know, faith is more than a confession. Faith, real faith, is more than a confession. When you really have faith, you know, your functional faith lines up with your confessional faith. When you really have faith, your functional faith lines up with your confessional faith. It's easy to have a confessional faith. To say, of course, yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. But is that really what you believe? It's easy to have a confessional faith. But when you really have faith, your functional faith lines up with your confessional faith. This is why, Jesus, this is why James said, faith without works is dead. Because faith, by nature, is alive. Faith will produce. Faith elicits a response. Is your faith a saving faith? And remember that functional faith and confessional faith are two different things. You know Jonah? Remember the story of Jonah? God said, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Go and preach to the Ninevites. Go and preach to the Ninevites, Jonah. My mercy is toward them. Go preach to them, Jonah. And what did Jonah do? He did the literally exact opposite thing. He ran from God's presence. He ran in the opposite direction to Tarshish. And of course, you know the story. There was a storm on the sea and Jonah was asleep and the, the, the sailors woke Jonah up and they said, hey, we're drowning here. We're about to go down here. Who are you? What's going on? What is happening? And you know what Jonah said to them? You know what Jonah's response was to them? He, here he is. He's running from God. He's literally doing the opposite thing that God wanted him to do. And they say, who are you, Jonah? And he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You're doing the... Uh, that's his confessional faith. That's what he confesses. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Do you really? Is that your functional faith? Is that, does that have any effect on your life? today? Has that changed you? If that's true of you, you'll be fighting sin. 
You know, if that's true of you, you, you will do something about your anger. If, if that's true of you, you, you would do something about your greed. You would do something about your porn addiction. If, 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 your, if your functional faith is real, if your confessional faith, rather, is real, it will produce a functional faith. If, 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 this, if your confessional faith is real, then you'll love people. You'll want to be in community. You'll want to serve. You won't, just, you won't just consume. You'll join the church. You'll be a part of the church. You'll be generous. You'll be on mission. You'll trust the commands of Jesus. Don't you see? We're saved by faith. We're saved by simple, simple faith. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But faith lives Faith produces a function. We respond in worship, forgiveness, generosity, love. So you see, faith is alive. Faith is alive. The sheep and the goats, <laughs> the wheat and the tares, two houses, two sons, two thieves. Everybody that walked by the cross that day, nobody could tell the difference, but if you take a closer look, one of the thieves came to Jesus with self-righteousness, cynicism, pragmatism, and he died, and he's still dead. But the other thief came with simple believing faith. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus heard him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he still is. Which one represents your faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd give us today eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. May we learn from these thieves. Father, teach us through these thieves. Father, we ask you, grace in this moment, and I ask, Lord, that you would move in this time, for the sake of your church, for the sake of your kingdom, and I pray this in Jesus' name.